0: The old world is ending.
1: And we have the opportunity to rethink everything.
0: This is a show about the systemic problems in our world.
1: And the real solutions we have today.
0: To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society.
1: That sustains all life.
0: You may think it's an impossible dream.
1: But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare.
0: We're your hosts, Matt Holton,
1: Amanda Smith,
0: and Zachary Marlow. And
2: together,
1: we can move past this economic absurdity
2: and come together to actualize our collective potential
0: to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society.
3: Psychedelic drugs such as mushrooms
2: are now decriminalized in San Francisco. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors approved the resolution this week. The measure says arresting people for using, growing, and distributing plant-based
4: psychedelics
2: should be the lowest law enforcement priority. It also says that city resources should not be used for investigations tied to the use of psychedelics. All right, who's ready to turn on, tune in, and drop out? Today's a very special episode of Money in the Society. We're going to be getting into the topic of entheogens, plant medicines, psychedelics. So our guests today are Larry and Carlos from Decriminalized Nature, two people that I uh, was very lucky to re- just re- pretty randomly reach out to on social media after they, they just posted some of these really beautiful messages that just really resounded in me. So I reached out, we got in touch, and we had a, a series of calls that just I I just felt so great about them all that there was just such an alignment, such a richness, such an advanced awareness that these substances, these experiences that have had such an impact on my personal life. and have such an important role in the transitioning of our society, of the way we see the world, of our relationships, our communities. So that's really the topic of our conversation today. And I I just really love to uh, toss the ball to either of you to tell us what it means to decriminalize nature. And what a fucking absurdity that nature is criminalized.
4: That was a big, thank you very much, uh, Zach. That was a big question we had at the very beginning. How absurd is it that nature is criminalized? And we want to sort of work with that in terms of our, our. name of our organization, you know. Um, I'll, I'll let Carlos go a little bit into that uh, in, in a second, but uh, but I think that's something that is really key here. We really wanting to bring that conversation back. What, what is our relationship with nature? Who is nature? Are we nature? Are we part of nature? Are we criminalized? Are the plants criminalized? Like all these different concepts, you know, that we're talking about. And so, and I think we even kind of, you know, uh, was it uh, Bill Hicks, uh, you know, said that it doesn't doesn't making nature against the law seem a little unnatural or something like that. So, uh, there's some some history there in terms of this this terminology being used in the past as well. But yeah, something that we really want to bring forward is this conversation around nature and having the empowered uh, process around your own healing plant medicines, being able to cultivate your own, being able to engage in a natural process uh, that we've been doing for thousands of not more years across the planet. So Carlos?
3: Yeah, well, that was my reaction after my first journey, a five-gram mushroom journey in 2018, which uh, kind of smacked me in the face with intensity of uh, deep connection with spirit, interconnectedness of all first experience was awe. what the hell was that? But the second one was, why are these illegal? This makes no fucking sense. Why are we criminalizing these things that can heal people, particularly their nature? So, uh, yeah, it sort of emerged as a, in terms of a name, it, it emerged in a, in a group discussions. Like, what is it we're really trying to do here at the core? We're not trying to uh, legalize psychedelics because we're really not asking for a, a regulatory structure and, and we're not really talking about things that are made by humans uh, like MDMA, uh, which we're not suggesting should be criminalized. But at the core of it, there's this deep relationship between humans and nature. We are nature. It's, it's us. So when we criminalize nature, we're really criminalizing ourselves and our own sovereignty. It seems to resonate with folks. Yeah, I, I
2: just I just want to play off something you said there, Larry. That you know we are nature and we are criminalized. I mean, what an absurdity! Not to dive off the the main point here, but that we have illegal humans. You know, we have human beings that are locked in cages. That we are, you know, criminalizing ourselves and our own nature. And I think that's one of the main reasons that that these substances are illegal. You know, there's a a long history of why all that is, but it's like, we're criminalizing access to our own consciousness, to our own sense of interconnection. And it's literally illegal to go beyond the bounds of our own experience for people to explore their own minds. I mean, how can a nation say that it cares at all about freedom, if it is literally saying through its legal structure, you are not allowed to think these thoughts, you are not allowed to access your own mind, you are not allowed to eat something that grows out of the ground and connect with nature in this primal, ancient, potentially formative way in developing who we are as you know, an organism.
4: Mm-hmm. Or and now take it to the next step, or what we'll do is we'll take those plants and mushrooms that are in the ground that your ancestors have been working with, we'll extract the biggest bang for your buck component out of it, like psilocybin, and then we'll put you in a laboratory or clinical setting with a specific focus on a specific issue around mental health, which sometimes does or sometimes doesn't relate to the expansion of consciousness, expiration of consciousness, all these other things and really kind of like silo it into a pathology. And now you're changing the experience at its core you know, why are we depressed? Why are we anxious? Why are we have all these other mental health issues? Sometimes it's not just about the issue. Sometimes it's about lack of connection or needing to be reconnected to the sacred or to community or to nature or to each other or those different types of things. So I think, you know, we're, we're seeing this sort of next step where there's this extractive process that's also trying to like box this thing that's unboxable. You know, it can't there's really no such thing as double-blind placebo when it comes to these studies, because people know right away, oh, I'm having an experience now. So then you have this like sort of influencing of the data, you know? So psychedelics really have us uh, on our heads in terms of how to even do the research around it, because it's, it's a methodological problem all across the board, you know?
1: Having just recently learned about the two of you and the movement that you've begun, Excuse me, I feel like I'm now in the presence of two more leaders, frontiersmen, if you will, in the fight to, as you said, decriminalize nature. What comes to me are names like Terrence McKenna, Alan Watts, Paul Stamets, uh, Alex and Allison Gray, all people who went on their own respective journeys and brought back information to the rest of us in an you know, uh, uh, effort to enlighten uh, society uh, to, to recognize our connectedness our interconnectedness with what we label as nature, as if it is separate from ourselves. Um, I understand that you, Carlos, um, you studied or are interested in, or maybe have some degrees in, I'm so sorry, um, anthropology. I know you're a biologist, right? Um, When it comes to Paul's statements and his assertion that we are essentially uh, some uh, um, extension of fungi, what is your take on that? And if I could couple that with another question, in observing uh, tribes that you've visited, have you made any observations that would um, fortify that claim?
3: Well, I mean, I think that's a, probably a more a spiritual statement by by Paul, less you know, one that science might um, find evidence to prove. But I think there's definitely a, a, a strong relationship between us and fungi. Uh, you know, for, for myself, I see the, the plant and fungi medicines as portals, uh, portals into uh, higher awareness, deeper connections, uh, spirit. Uh, and, um, and, and I know sometimes we kind of get fixated on the specific plant or the fungi or the thing that gives us the experience. But then really, it's, for me, it's what's beyond that. What's the messages that they bring? And what's really fascinating for me is the uh, interrelationship between us, our consciousness, and the compounds that are in these uh, plants, uh, in, in a deep way, you know them as beings, the plants as beings, which now gets back to the the tribes that I lived with. There, there's really not a big separation. If you go into, like, I lived with the Ashwad for a while in in Ecuador when I was a young person, and um, there's not a, a strong distinction between we are human and that's nature over there. It's it's all part of the same community. Uh, the plants are part of the community, the animals are part of the community, and it's very much an ecosystem, ecosystem approach to life, uh, as opposed to in the West. It's very much a me approach to life and how does all that out there serve me? Um, and so, so uh, I think if Stamets is talking about us and the mushrooms as being related as relatives or as family or as, even as coexisting beings, then, then yeah, I think there's enough science to, to prove that for sure.
1: Interesting.
3: So I think it's it's one of the things that it really
2: um, resounded so heavily with you guys. With in our first little conversation, we just we just really just dove right into it, and it was just click click click. And one of the things we really had this this really powerful connection over a story that I shared from an experience that I had taking ayahuasca and as you said before, it's, it's very much a being, it's very much not just a bunch of chemicals that affects the brain in a certain way. It is forming this relationship with this in personality, this intelligence, this grandmother figure that, you know, embraces you with these powerful arms and goes into your mind and your heart and your soul and sort of, you know, cleans you out and, you know, shows you you in the deepest sense that you go much deeper than you do. And um, my my first sort of response or feeling in this setting uh, of taking this ancient substance was that almost everybody in the circle was white, was wealthy enough that they could afford $500 a night to take this substance for six hours. And it really just made me feel like I thought about the single black mothers and the people that I saw working in gas stations in Southwest Atlanta I thought about the scars in the face of the 16 year old that tried to rob me. I thought about all these people who didn't have that opportunity that were the people that I would most (laughs) like. I'm losing my mic here. That I would most, that would really most benefit from experiencing these substances, these healing substances that, as I, I could just so powerfully see, break us out of the mental chains of slavery. So your work is really not just about plants or chemicals or, you know, eating a mushroom and tripping out at a tapestry. It's really about healing our relationships to community. And it's a very powerful bottom-up approach. Can you talk about that? And please hit that that thread, that beautiful thread you hit about money and decolonizing the mind and all those things we said in that first conversation. It, it was sure. so powerful.
4: Carlos, why don't you go ahead and start, and I'll add some of that in the
2: end
3: there. Yeah, yeah you're going to get us all riled up now, Marlo. <laughs> um, you know, we, we are a liberation movement. Fundamentally, my hero is Harriet Tubman. We are are about uh, ending the slavery of humanity in our consciousness. For the last 4,000 years, we've seen a narrowing of consciousness of humans away from the ecosystem, away from greater awareness of interconnectedness, towards a narrowing of awareness towards self. Disconnection that's led to depression. It's led to higher rates of suicide, um, lack of satisfaction about life and the meaning of life. Uh, And and we're heading down that trajectory and the effect of these plants have an opposite effect. But what you're talking about um, is fundamental to the cause. We are here to liberate the minds of those people who need it most, which are the most marginalized in our society, who have the least access to health care, the least access to mental health care, the least least access to resources. We live in an extractive society that that, uh, really extracts from some to the benefit of others, and melanin is one of the uh, strong tools to other, because uh, it's hard to other your own family, right? So you have to create an other to extract from, and and that's what really fundamentally you're you're describing. So when we started as a movement, you know, we give a lot of shit and we get a lot of shit in this movement, this decrim nature, and, and and that's really why we're here. We're here to disrupt the system, uh, because uh, the reason we get a lot of shit is because we are here to advocate for the most marginalized in society. Because if we're not doing that, then we're doing against that. We're actually supporting a system that is increasingly uh, uh, hurting the most marginalized. So we always, whenever we're making decisions, we're thinking about who are the most marginalized in society and how can we ensure they have access to plant medicines. And so you describe you know, the African-American single mother, or I like to think a lot about, you know, the, the, the cholo, the brother, the thug that, you know, these are all things that are terms used in society, people who in society have been discarded, but they are sacred beings. How do we create a system that serves them? And the therapeutic model does not serve them. We're not against therapeutic model, but that system won't serve, you know, the brother in the hood or in the barrio, um, who comes from struggle. Uh, the medical system won't serve them they typically don't have insurance uh and 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 then the corporate system as larry was mentioning earlier isn't going to serve them because it's designed to put to 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 control the medicine given to you as more of a a, a cause a, a tool for sedation than a tool for liberation so so we are about liberating the plant medicines grow gather gift model building local economy to make access ubiquitous for the most marginalized amongst us and frankly that's why we get so much shit, and we're not going to stop because we know that's why we get a lot of shit from the corporate interests and their proxies.
4: And I think a big part of that, as Carlos was saying, is, uh, is sort of uh, we're really a model of abundance, you know. And, and models that are running the world today are models of scarcity, right? Monopolize, control, patent, uh, inter- intellectual portfolios, all those different types of things, right? And so I think that's exactly the point to work. We're saying to people, no, you don't have to go to that pharmacist to get your medicine, or even that dispensary. Like you can grow your own, and uh, and and I think that's something in, in relation to this policy that's kind of just starting to come about with cannabis now. But they still limit, like you can only have this many plants or whatever else. Like you can limit a plant, any day, right? or an allowable amount, right? They call it allowable amount, so they make you. The- feeling, oh, thank you so much for allowing this amount to us. What actually they're saying is, when can we arrest you again, OK? So mm-hmm. um, so this model of abundance and a model of scarcity is kind of the dynamic that we're playing up against here, right? And so because we're about this model of abundance, um, I think there's a lot of people who see that as a, a safety factor, but not for people's physical or mental harm or psychological harm or even spiritual harm, but for their bottom line, right? Well, we need to limit you so that we can sell the product back to you over here, right? And I was talking to and this is, I think, something we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, I was talking to an economist not too long ago, and uh, I was saying, you know, hey, you know, what, what, is, what isn't? I mean, economists, you know, you hear about these things. Economists, I always think it's related directly to economy, but he says a little something different. And I was like, so what does an econ- economist really do? He says an economist studies scarcity. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. So what would you do if there was a model of abundance in front of you? And he was like, well, we don't really have a model. What? (laughs) So so here we are. We have a scenario where the people who are supposed to lead us out of scarcity and into abundance don't even know how to talk about abundance because it's not part of their structure or their system. So we're stuck in being defined by these people who don't have an understanding. And I'm not saying everybody, you know, just the general model, the system doesn't really have an understanding for how to study a model of abundance versus a model of scarcity. So we're kind of like playing, you know, and, and Carlos gave a great talk at the, uh, an expo not too long ago, playing with these like paradigms of words, paradigms of consciousness, all these different things are rubbing up against each other. And psychedelics are kind of, or NPGs are kind of like helping us see where the boundaries at. What's the difference between abundance and scarcity? What's the difference between control and emergence? What's the difference between, uh, you know, hierarchy and horizontalism or localism, you know, or globalism and, you know, bringing in local so you don't have to, you know, we see with COVID and everything else, these big supply chain issues that happen. Well, let's let's make it local. Let's make sure that power is in our community, that we know who everyone is. And it's something Carlos has been working a lot with uh, Oakland. Uh, it's a go-local initiative. I think, you know, as probably everybody on this call, I think this is really the way to move forward in terms of these types of policies.
3: Just to build on that real quick, except one economist that was recently turned on to by one Marlow, uh, Jeremy Rifkin. I mean, talks about what happens when we have abundance. It was an, an incredible uh, concept, you know, that that we have an economist who's actually talking about what happens when abun- abundance emerges from technological disruption and revolution that we're currently in, and in the end, it goes to localism. And, and, and the case he lays out that that now we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves by design building local economy within the con- context of abundance. Yeah, man, I'm there.
2: Yeah, i mean you guys hit so many of the uh of the words and concepts and ideas that we were really working to push forward you know the from the word access which is one of my favorite words right now because you know we we want to transition more away from an ownership model to a more of a stewardship model towards a shared ownership or shared access model for you know the means of life that the means of life have been you know criminalized i mean and have been captured through an illegal or a, a you know, a criminal legal practice, an insane legal practice that says, oh, I'm gonna take this land, I'm gonna take this water supply, I'm gonna take this forest, this this land that gives us life, this food, all of these things that we all rely on and give it to one person to own and control, which is, you know, essentially what's being done with our consciousnesses, with our minds, with our culture, through media, through the capture of all of these aspects of our society through money and through the ownership impulse. So really all of this just perfectly cycles back into really being, you know, in terms of like the spiritual growth and the personal change and that understanding of interconnectedness that happens through entheogens, psychedelics, plant medicine, whatever you want to call them. Uh, It really brings us to, you know, shifting into the collective and shifting into how do we conceive a localized, abundant system? ourselves and that's really what we're trying to facilitate the dialogue and actually you know work toward organizing the the you know the shovels in the dirt to create you know the the boots on the ground we want to actually you know move away from this total top down like well we need to make this happen we need to make this change happen and do what you guys are doing on this local level where you're working to get things changed where you are and and empower people from the ground up to meet their needs and this need for a psychedelic abundance so i think matt you had something to say
0: yeah yeah no it's 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 an interesting point with the with the whole localization and um you know especially when it comes to uh you know it's creating an abundance of things and, and i believe localization is going to be a huge part of that like you were saying and uh, it, it's kind of a timely conversation because i actually just got this uh, machine called farmbot In the mail, I had had made a post about it on Facebook earlier today. And of course, in my opinion, it's this wonderful solution. It's a CNC uh, automated farming machine. The thing will literally plant seeds for you. It'll it'll weed by pushing the weeds into the soil and, and smothering them. It'll water for you. Uh, I don't think they've they've made it actually harvest the 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 fruits or vegetables yet for you, but but a lot of the process is actually automated. Um, unfortunately, the machine kind of costs a lot of money right now. But one of our goals is to kind of it's it's an open source machine. Farmbot is open source, so there's no patents on it, right? So one of our goals that we want to do is duplicate this machine, and in my opinion, it should cost a fraction of what it does right now. And if we can and if we can get you know uh, methods. To actually manufacture this machine, bring the cost of it down. I think things like that are a huge step for people to actually start producing one food locally. But there's other things that go into that, too. It's also producing, you know, uh, your own medicine. Things like that, like you guys are talking about plant medicines, uh, other consumables, household goods and products, um, you know, just regular, you know, goods and and things that people use on an everyday basis. But but a lot of it really, in my opinion, the first step is food, because you can you can get by without a lot of stuff, but you really you're not going to make it very long without food, you know. Uh, so in my opinion, food is a really good place to start, which is why, you know, one of the main reasons I ordered this farm bot machine. Um, but, it, but another thing too, is just, uh, a, a lot of people, I don't think they kind of put the dots together in that, you know, or, or they imagine it like as going back to some sort of agrarian society. And, and a lot of people aren't, aren't really wanting to do that you know they have other plans and hobbies and passions and deny, and desires and they're not wanting to go out into the field and you know work 6 or 8 or 10 hours a day planting crops or harvesting things like that and that's where this technology comes into play a lot of the time with these automated systems so that's that's kind of one of the things we're really trying to develop and promote is these automated systems but that can go into other things as well talking about like mushrooms and mycology i'd really i'd really love to start exploring you know, trying to localize production of these things, uh, as well as kind of promoting their usefulness, uh, and, and just their potential in a lot of ways as well. But the other side of that is actually getting some of these things, you know, decriminalized (laughs) as, as you guys are promoting too, because it's very hard to do that unless you're, I guess, an organ, you know, right now it's probably one of the, one of the few places where you can actually, uh, you know, go, go and have a psilocybin or, you know, Type of experience and, and it not be completely illegal, um, but it's just interesting because I made this post on Facebook regarding the farm bot. You know, we post all these memes and everything, and and uh, a lot of them get like hundreds of likes, and a lot of you know they're kind of insightful. They get people riled up, but when you when we post a viable solution like this, a lot of time it gets like four likes. <laughs> You know, I'm just like, man, you know, how, how can we really get this stuff out there more? How can we take these very, very viable solutions to, you know, localized automated agriculture doing, you know, especially things like people producing their own mushrooms or, and really getting, you know, a lot of the things that you guys are talking about more in the public eye. Uh, You know, especially producing these things locally and and having just more community awareness about their usefulness and, uh, you know, those sorts of things. It's 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 a tough hill to climb right now because I I don't think a lot of people really put these dots together, you know, of, of just how important localizing these things are and, and and having them be part of the community. You know, I mean, when when a lot of people think of where are you gonna get your food, they think, oh, the grocery store. They don't think, oh, actually my friend has, you know, a farm bot in his garage and he produces, you know, 70% of his of his own fruits and vegetables, you know, out of his garage with a few LED lights and you know, maybe you know, some local electricity or solar panels or something like that. So I don't know your thoughts on that. Maybe just how, how, how is, how can we get this message out there more, especially in the, in the realm of mycology mushrooms? Maybe that's kind of part of the puzzle too. You know, maybe, maybe it's going to take kind of a wake up call and, and, and maybe some more of these spiritual experiences and whatnot to, to really wake people up towards some of these things.
3: Yeah. Larry, may I jump in and then kick it to you? Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. And you know, the whole idea—how do you get people to see this? My my conclusion of people in general is, you know, we're we're these sacred beings, but at the end of the day, we're sort of these rechargeable batteries with algorithms. And uh, and, and so to change somebody's algorithm to the extent where they want, where they're willing to stop going to the grocery store and instead harvesting their own food using you know CNC machines, I think we're a bit far from that unless we could show us how it's show how it's in their interest. And this is where our movement really I think succeeded and has succeeded is. We started in Oakland to decriminalize uh, entheogens and we wanted to lead by example. We said, we'll start, we'll do it here. And then other cities said, we want to do it. How do we do it? And then it kicked off this kind of wildfire of interest because we made it accessible and we found the people in the communities that wanted to do it. And then we were there to support them. Uh, But then the whole Go Local movement is taking it to the next level. We said to ourselves, How do we stop corporations from controlling the game? And there's only one way to do that, and that is localism, because the only way that we can constrain the capital controls and the marketing controls and the regulatory framework controls is by where we have control still, which is our local governments. So that's the only playing field where we are still in control and corporations have not come in to dominate it and so that's that's why we we started the whole go local movement around soil-based economy including plant medicines and food but then we uh when i read uh actually tony seba rethink x is a big go local um uh technology disruption information materials food transportation and energy are his sectors that he identifies massive transformation s curves, eventually it goes local, and I was already looking at that and talking to Tony about how do we implement these larger technology shifts in our co- local community, so that people are drawn into participating as opposed not intellectually, but because it's in their self interest, and that's coming. But then I, you know, started reading Jeremy Rifkin, and we're like, he's in the exact same place based on his perspective as a Wharton School, uh, you know, uh, instructor uh, economist they both land in the same place, which is eventually, it's in everybody. It's going to be, whether we want it or not, it's gonna be in everybody's interest to opt into these local economies. So that, uh, that's kinda of where I think it's all heading. I, I just wanna make a point
2: about uh, that Jeremy Rifkin made, who's, who's really somebody that just is not well-known enough, is a, is a really brilliant thinker, is an amazing speaker, is just a personality that I really enjoy and someone I would love to get on the show. But uh, he made this really brilliant point about the sort of glocalization the lo- local and globalization this basically every locality is responsible for its biosphere for you know the totality of life within it and so climate change is affecting local communities on a scale that where it is impossible for a federal centralized government to actively respond quick enough and as things intensify as things speed up as you know these crises become more you know every day uh, it's going to be really impossible for centralization to continue. And so there's there's a lot of power and beauty in that in, you know, nature forcing us into this really much more equitable, you know, free participatory system wherein we are working together, you know, meeting our own needs locally instead of things being federated or, or you know, um, just... You know, massively controlled and centralized by people thousands of miles away from where we are living, and so you know Jeremy Rifkin, overall, I mean, has uh, more than just about anybody I can think of, other than like Peter Joseph or Jacques Fresco, is really laying out technical solutions of how to create resilient communities, society, uh, in terms of basically the what he calls the third industrial revolution, which is a revolution in transportation, energy, and communications and that's basically adding, you know, the internet of things, which is, you know, sounds like a scary term, but it's basically an energy internet where we have decentralized energy production through solar, wind, geothermal, you know, tidal, whatever the local energy is, that's put into a smart grid where every building basically is its own power plant, green power plant, where there's solar panels on the roof, there's wind turbines on the sides, there's geothermal underneath it, and you know, whatever other energy sources there are locally that building itself becomes a power plant that's storing that energy and transferring it where it is needed, and so that connects to an, a transportation internet, which is you know smart public transportation or self-driving cars, you know this revolution in transportation, which is connected to the internet, which is of course a communication revolution. And he talks about uh, liquid democracy, you know, and, and and thinking about democracy in the age of Twitter, which is like you know we can instantaneously feedback into this system, you know, millions of times a minute to give. a a smart system that controls the distribution of resources all of the information that it needs to completely equitably economize in an abundant fashion you know to to you know generate these abundances of energy food whatever we need and to distribute them based upon real need and that to me is you know the resource-based economy that we're working toward that to me is a real economy and so how do we get there one of the biggest steps is changing people's minds helping people see these this beautiful transition that we are uh, that is capable and i think um, that entheogens, psychedelics, rituals, experiences, like like nothing short of an experience of life can change people enough to open them up to these wonderful possibilities that exist underneath our feet. So that's really you know such an integral part of this process is using these ancient tools, these ancient medicines to open people up to the possibilities of what we have to do. So that just so that we can adapt to our environment because this stuff isn't some radical political platform. It's adaptation, it's evolution. Amanda, you are you are burning um, with the well, desire. I'm
1: glad you can tell because I think I'm quieter than usual today. Your, ca- but... your,
2: your cat ears turned red and your eyes started to glow.
1: <laughs> I felt it on the inside. No, I took my plant medicine today, and I'm just sitting here, um, you know, being chill and listening and observing. And, and it, it occurs to me, you know, being so new to your efforts, and I, I realize most of our listeners probably are too, can you lend any insight to the logistics? Of your movement, um, from this uh, through the scope of your opposition, because as I listen, it becomes clear and clear that you all are obviously opposing the system as a whole, but also directly opposing one of its cornerstones, which is the incarceration industry, uh, which, as we know, disproportionately targets. Uh, People of color who, uh, you know, and indigenous peoples who uh, ironically are the ones who bring us plant medicine and should be um, the most entitled to it, in my opinion, uh, versus what we have uh, today, which is a market, a niche, a trend where only white women with the money can access, you know, sage bundles (laughs) and and ayahuasca trips and things like that. Um, So, yeah, I just want to put that out there and see what you all can uh, fill us in on.
4: But I think one thing that's important here is a couple different things. Uh, First of all, you mentioned Oregon earlier. And this is a model that uh, unfortunately isn't as great for the people as we might think it is. For one particular Mm. reason is that there's not allowed, you're not allowed to harvest your plants, it's still a felony. You're not allowed to grow your own plants, it's still a felony, or your own mushrooms. Mm. You're not allowed to share it in ceremony, that's still a felony. So in Oregon, Mm. while it looks great, it's use and possession of small amounts. So who does Mm. that feed into? Well, then you're going to say, oh, well, we need to go to these uh, licensed therapist centers are going to be five to seven thousand dollars. Well, now we got to get insurance involved. But what mm-hmm. insurance like mushrooms because they're too all over the place, they're not consistent. Well, let's get a synthetic out of the farmer company, and boom, here we are. We have a synthetic system coming out of what we thought was a nat- natural system. Um, so, and I think that's something that we do. And you know, I'm kind of torn on this whole conversation around increase in technology and the benefit of how it can be so great for us, and then also the groundedness of nature right? Because mm-hmm. you can't, They say you can't rush a flower to bloom. You can't force it to bloom. You can't, you know, it's going to take 10 to 15 years for a peyote button to grow. And so mm-hmm. how do we go ahead and uh, engage with these practices and understand that, like, you know, nature is going to kind of force us to slow down, but this sort of, uh, this idea that, you know, we can use technology to help us do the things that would be, you know, six to eight hours mm-hmm. in the field, that's not going to be great for everybody, you know, finding ways to like help with that, but be grounded in the idea that, you know, um, you know, sometimes the idea of scalability takes us away from local control. Everyone's like, oh, well, if we need accessibility, we're gonna have to scale up, or if we're gonna scale up, well, we're gonna do all of our mushrooms out of E. coli bacteria, which I've heard, because it's so cost-effective. This is something I've heard that's come out there. Okay, that's great that that's happening, but why not grow mushrooms? Okay, yeah, well, you know, uh, peyote is threatened status, so our option to that is we're gonna synthesize mescaline. But hold on, why don't we just grow more peyote buds? You know so it's like there's there's like this fine line of like sort of how do we balance the two of like yes we're moving towards this sort of more technologically advanced and useful and effective ways of using these tools to help us while also saying like wait a second we don't want to get totally taken away from that and sort of forget the lessons that nature have been telling us right and so balancing those two i always think about what, are, uh, what is it biomimicry i mean that's like such a beautiful yeah. thing utilizing technology and utilizing what's mm-hmm. been evolving for thousands of years on the planet and being like, oh, wow, here's this other thing. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's just one thing I just want to say about that uh, sort of this, this dynamic that we're playing, seeing playing out here between nature and sort of the, the time it takes, you know, a peyote button gets more mescaline and it, when it's dry for a period of time and it's in drought conditions and when it's in really harsh environments and like how do you mm-hmm. do that with technology? Right, you have to like really yeah. study your plant to understand all that nuance, because otherwise it'd be this sort of you know um, same system kind of thing. So, so I think that's something that's really interesting about this uh, this conversation. We sort of rubbing again, these rubbing these edges together and see what's in the middle and where the juiciness is. So,
3: so, but I just want to add to what Larry said. The the whole prophecy of the eagle and the condor is that it, the fundamental bottom line. This is kind of you know ancient indigenous prophecy in the Americas is that technology ultimately housed within the wisdom of the ancient, you know, uh, the, ancient, the ancient wisdom of nature uh, will sort of take care of a lot of these issues. If we enable the ancient wisdoms of the relationship with nature to emerge, then all these technologies will be housed within that. So nature will be a, a part of all of it. You know, the CNC machine real quick that, he's talk, that you're talking about, Matt, the, the materials would be abundant to produce it. The algorithms needed to print it would be abundant and free. The use of it would be uh, almost free. This is what Rifkin's talking about. Like the margins of production would be so low that, um, that it would be damn near free to do all of this, and so it just becomes a tool. But if we are all, if we're already dialed into the rhythms of nature, the interconnectedness of all, then that technology would be used in a way that brings us closer to nature, not further from nature. And that is kind of the prophecy of the eagle and the condor Hmm. in a nutshell. In terms of incarceration, um, you know, um, the, the idea of incarceration for me when I had the big breakthrough journey and I was kind of in awe was, fuck, I've been asleep for 30 years trying to wake up from mental incarceration of being a poor kid from a poor neighborhood from a poor area of a poor country with all that that means in terms of violence and struggle and alcoholism and all that stuff being raised in america a country that tells you that if you are that you're shit right so the incarceration of that was much more intense in my family which is mexicans immigrants indigenous from mexico Uh, than physical incarceration from the war on drugs. And so this is what Larry's talking about. What I tell folks is, okay, so you end the war on drugs and you stop physical incarceration. How do you stop 4,000 years of incarceration of humanity's consciousness by controlling people and making them cogs in a machine, right? This is really at the end. We want to end the war on drugs, but we don't want to do it at the expense of liberation of all of humanity to live their fullest awareness, most aware life. And that's all of us including POC. But if you ended the war on drugs tomorrow, 90% of my people, if they weren't incarcerated physically, would still be incarcerated mentally from the trauma that we suffer in communities of color. So I say to Pope, don't get hung up on just ending the war at, drug at all, ending the war on drugs at all costs. Because what you'll do is you'll hand the keys to liberation to corporations by allowing them to take over synthetics. And then they'll feed back to us the liberation plants in form that just sedates us instead of liberates us. It behooves us to protect the plant medicines and work together to make sure that if we end the war on drugs, we don't give up our plant medicines. So, um, so we want to end the incarceration of POC and the war on drugs, but also all of us who are incarcerated because of the war on consciousness, which goes back 4,000 years.
1: I couldn't agree with that more. And essentially, it sounds like you're saying uh, ending this capitalist, money-driven, profit-driven system is the cure, the antidote to um, that, that incarceration of our mentality and our spirituality. Um, and just to piggyback on what you said and what Larry was talking about earlier, I wanted so much for him to know that I couldn't agree more with the points he was making uh, regarding how we have to be careful, how we paired nature with technology in trying to provide access. I think is what you were saying. Um, I remember writing my high school paper on the legalization of marijuana and it's so trippy being a person who was alive before and you know, before marijuana was legal and now that it is legal quote unquote, um, or decriminalized in some ways, um, and and even then at that age I knew and as a lot of people did and know, it it would take, oh it would take a matter of profiteering to uh, provide access to marijuana, and and I and I just hear that being a recurring theme and what both of you are saying is basically as long as there is um, a paywall. In front of the access to these plant medicines, then we even if they become legal or decriminalized, we still have to scale that paywall, which is still going to keep most people in a state of um, incarceration mentally and spiritually.
2: So uh, I, may, I may have to abruptly run inside as it starts to storm, uh, no. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to, I just, I just really wanted to touch on what you were saying, Carlos. Oh, Larry, you were saying earlier about um, growing things in the soil. And I just wanted to add this one little psychedelic tangent about the transcension hypothesis and uh, other things like that. I just want to kind of get, get a little expose my, uh, my mystical nature for minute here. I really do believe that when we take natural psychedelics, plant medicines, like, like, the fungus, we are actually connecting with the entire Gaia, you know, with we're, we're the entire Earth, the, the the concentrated intelligence of the whole planet. So for these uh, mycelium to actually connect to the soil, connect to the life sequence of the planet, and to take that as opposed to taking something that's grown in a closet or grown, you know, or synthesized synthetically, we are actually not, con- you know, gaining Kind of half of what the point of this of the medicine is, which is not just a chemical reaction. It is us connecting with us, with the deeper us, the bigger us, the higher us. And so I, I just wanted to add in this transcendence hypothesis mm-hmm. too, that uh, uh, computers and technology get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, the the you compare the size of a computer in the 70s to you know the smartphone in your pocket, and you imagine this process continuing to the point of you know, a, mo- a supercomputer that's far more powerful than anything we can imagine inside of a molecule. So, you know, fungus, some fungus can survive in the vacuum of space. So there is this freaky hypothesis that the, the psilocybin mushroom or the psilocybin compound is in fact uh, like an entire galactic alien consciousness that has uh, hidden itself into this molecule. Then we take that molecule and it connects us to, you know, the, the, the God principle or the God particle within. But I just really wanted to, to just purely just from my heart, Um, thank you, Carlos, for what you just said about that, that war on consciousness, that true decriminalization or that true criminalization, that enslavement of humanity to what is ultimately a dream. What is a hallucinogenic cycle of history that we have gone through? That is this money system. That is the cycle of, of of historical colonization of the wetico, the mind virus of humanity eating itself waging war on all of life around it that that's what we're experiencing here right now it is much deeper than any kind of sickness of the mind or a miss miscalculation or misalignment of our particles or our neurochemistry it really is this this battle this this struggle for us to reconnect with the the plain obviousness that we are living beings that we are a part of this beautiful mystical universe and that 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 process has been taken from us, and, and, you know, the severing of peoples from their medicines, from their rituals is a tremendous aspect of that, that we have been culturally smashed. Like, all peoples were at once indigenous in the way that we lived in tribal, communalistic, egalitarian cultures, deeply connected to the, the localities that we lived in, the nature, yeah. you know— the. the and that was taken from us, all of us. And we were brought into this enslavement of this monetary existence that we have to chip away at each other and, and take from each other and and exist in this enslavement. And I just think in the process of getting out of that, th- this is the work. This is the work of of getting all peoples to that aha moment, that amazing cathartic revelation that, oh, my God, I was asleep. I was not awake. I was not aware. I was not myself. And to come into that with each other is everything
3: if I can, if I could build on that, thank you. You know, when we unpack it enough and I'll give this 30 seconds here, when we unpack it enough, we realize it was me who incarcerated me. Mm -hmm. Before capitalism, there was uh, industrialism before industrialism. There was colonialism before colonialism. There was feudalism before feudalism. There was extracting people off their land to to come and work for them to build pyramids or to build civilizations, quote unquote. It was us doing it to us. We come from fear because we are, animals who came out of the wild and that still lives in us in the name of the finger
2: I think he let go and learned Darn. to live from love and ceased <laughs> to be connected to his body and floated off into the ether and connected with his past lives and astral projected to the cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> it was,
0: it's, honestly, it's, it's interesting because he's talking about the same thing our last guest was, as, you know, controlling versus, um, yeah. what was it, basically, you know, just cooperation or um, just compassion, you know, coming from coming from that sort of a standpoint.
2: So little technical difficulties like these are a perfect time to remind you that we are the underdog. We are against the ropes, doing all this on our own, DIY, local, and organic. You can keep us going and going further by liking, commenting, subscribing, doing all the things to give us engagement to help this monstrous algorithm support our content. If you're listening on an audio platform, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform it is. Give us feedback. That really helps us show up and it helps more people connect with this complex, difficult, and liberatory message. Content like this is not as popular as you'd think. And groups like Decriminalized Nature, who are literally trying to give away free drugs, are struggling against the astroturfed mega machine. So, we need all the help we
0: can get. What's really interesting, like Larry, what you were saying about you know finding that middle ground between the technology and um, you know the just the natural processes and the natural ways that a lot of things come about, and, and it's it's the exact point like you know that that you were both hitting on earlier too. Essentially, just kind of getting getting the capitalist interests out of this a lot of the time because a lot of it does come back to the profit incentive, and even not a lot. It's 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 actually fear of I think loss of. Uh, you know money just getting sued a lot of the time people doing things wrong and then uh oh you lose everything from some giant lawsuit or something like that so everything has to be completely perfect and everybody's afraid of losing their business and their livelihood and all this when in reality those mistakes are going to happen from time to time but the more educated people are and the more and the more we can bring everybody up to speed kind of all on the same page and really get the conflicting interests out of the picture you know I think the more we can actually harmonize you know technology with nature. I actually did uh, Iba game not too long ago. And, and it was a really interesting experience for me. I know a lot of people say, wow, this is just like some incredibly spiritual experience. I didn't really have that, you know, to me, it was just kind of like, it was kind of more of just this, you know, psychedelic experience. And, and, um, you know, the people that I, that I did it with, they were, they weren't that surprised, because I've kind of had a lot of trauma in my life. And and they said, you know, a lot of people that have had trauma, they don't really find it like as intense, or like, as, you know, super deep spiritual experiences could just kind of like, more of a trip or something like that. And, and so they weren't really too surprised that I you know, I didn't like, you know, see this entire past life thing come up, or I didn't really just have some like profound, deep, you know, spiritual experience on it. It was just but but the one insight that I did come away with a lot that there was a lot going on in my head during the entire thing, a lot of it, you don't understand, you know, it's probably doing things on a deeper level that you're not really too aware of, you know, it's it's fixing your subconscious and these chemical ways and, and whatnot. And it's releasing certain chemicals and hormones or whatever. Um, but one thing that I really did find very very good was just you know when 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 the experience got to be a bit too much um, you you just disconnect from it You, you you relate to the observer essentially that's not that's not you know emotionally attached to this entire thing and and you just step back and you say okay where's the observer you know where's 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 the being that's witnessing all of this that's not actually you know part of my head you know all this stuff is going on in your head and you literally can't escape it and there was a part of me that was just like okay this is a bit too much i'm just going to be the observer now you know and and ibogaine is actually a substance where it helps you build new neural pathways through chemicals that it releases and so in a habit of doing this literally hundreds of times over the course of eight hours this this habit of just stepping back and being the observer uh almost kind of just becomes consciously ingrained to a little bit over the course of doing that for so many hours. And that was actually, um, when I was telling the guy that, you know, I was doing this whole thing with and kind of administered the experience. He was like, that was actually probably one of the most common uh, takeaways that people really get from all of It's just kind of being able to step back from the experience and be this observer. That's not as emotionally attached to the entire thing. Um, so it was just really interesting to me, but, but we were also talking about other things too. Like we were talking about LSD and he, and he was saying that, um, you know, LSD, when you, when you, when you take the molecules and you like smash them together in a Petri dish, they actually produce light. it's it's like not really bioluminescence but something like that like the 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 source of lsd like is is an energy of some sort and they're not really too sure how it happens right but it just kind of goes to show you and this person actually had a very 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 spiritual experience going in with lsd where they just like really felt connected to the light and consciousness of god and everything else and it's actually what turned this person uh, going down this path of, you know, helping other people find these plant medicines and administering them in a lot of the time. So I think there is more there that we just don't understand, even if we're not experiencing that or seeing that for ourselves a lot of the time, you know, just because I didn't experience that for myself doesn't mean it doesn't exist, you know, and I, and I definitely I, th- I think there's a lot more out there that we can't really prove with science, you know, that that our current technology can't really detect or, you know, it just doesn't have the means to sense those sort of things but there's so much more with our consciousness and light especially light in particular just being source and information and love and consciousness itself and all this stuff there's just a, a very very deep uh, meaning and, and uh an experience there that, that you know all this just barely scratches the sur- surface of and um yeah, but I, I really think that just taking the profit incentive out of this whole thing uh, that, that causes all this, you know, colonization colonialization and marginalization and extraction from people and just using people for profit and all this other stuff, if we can separate the two, then a lot of these paths will become much clearer and, and a lot less inhibited, you know, by by that entire uh by the entire profit monetary system. I think that really just throws a monkey wrench in it a lot of the time and it throws these monetary Monetary incentives that are just really in conflict with with a lot of, you know, us melding technology with nature. I mean, because in reality, in my opinion, technology is, is kind of part of nature. It's, it's an extension of nature, an extension of physics and science. It's just us being able to harness it in the ways that we know how and then utilizing that stuff in, in the most beneficial ways. But but a lot of the time, the profit incentives is just this huge conflict that gets there. But but I totally agree with you. There has to be, you know, some middle ground in, in between there. And it's just us being able to experiment with different systems and structures, finding things out, trial and error. It's not going to be perfect. You know, it's going to be a system where we start here and evolve and, you know, have different experiences and, and, and it evolves from there. And, and it keeps going it's there's always going to be mistakes and things okay that didn't work we should definitely not do that again but um you know yeah and and we learn from those experiences and we grow uh but if we can if we can get the profit incentive out of it i think a lot of that time that would eliminate a lot of the heartache and a lot of the disincentive uh to to do a lot of these things so that's my two cents
2: i just want to say matt that was a fantastic (laughs) tangent and from the perspective of our uh, mysterious uh, bigfoot conservative watcher. y'all are taking my guns. y'all don't believe in money. you get no private property and you're doing drugs. Oh Jesus Christ this is, this is this is everything we feared. No that was that was a really beautiful tangent and I think this is this is a topic that is so powerful because we are dealing and dipping into consciousness itself, raw consciousness. And I think when we scale the psychedelic experience to what we are trying to create on a collective level, because this these things do occur in our own head even if they tell us or show us how to go outside of our own head we have to create structures and create form these compounds within ourselves that have that effect on the world around us that we are the hit of acid on the world's tongue as it is going through this fucking crazy ego death you know that we have to be that response we have to be that influence in people's lives and we need to you know that was it
0: <laughs> Sorry, I am i'm just everywhere. coming I'm down the acid, acid i took before
2: taking just me i'm it's starting okay. to notice my oh, hands. hands oh my, oh, god. my god everything, everything is, is moving, moving and changing and yeah. everything's, everything's particles bumping into each, each other, other. Nothing, nothing is, is solid. solid all is, all love. is love
0: it's <laughs> great
3: it's great
2: now you guys have been great i just i wanted to say we're kind of running up on time here and the sky is about to crack open and drench me with water but i just wanted to say larry and carlos thank you guys so much for what you're doing this is absolutely the beginning of a collaborative relationship that I know is going to, going to bring us on many trips. Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, yes, I just want to open
2: it up to you guys to sort of, I don't know, bring, bring us, bring us down, you know, The come down of an acid trip is always the best part for me because like you experience all these crazy raw experiences and then you make sense of them so how do we make sense of of all of this how do we bring all these topics from jeremy rifkin's internet of things to you know this moneyless consciousness to this decolonial spirit to the the humility and simplicity of growing mushrooms in your garage how do we bring this together and you know go forward
3: There, you want to go first? Okay, sure. Uh, well,
4: um, I think that's the thing that's been really beautiful about this movement, is um, we kind of threw, threw it out there. We didn't know, is there even anyone that's going to pick up the call? Is there anyone that's going to want to go through the hard effort of engaging directly in democracy, engaging in our government process? You know, before I started this process, I was like, government doesn't work for us. It's totally, I'm totally lost. and disillusioned with this whole process and realizing, like, wait a second, we can make change on the local level. How many other people out there know that and have been transformed or healed or you know, amazed by these plants and mushrooms? And how many people are going to go through that effort and take the year it takes to volunteer, or sometimes a year and a half, to build that community, to get that education out there, to talk to the elected officials, to figure out how our government process works, all that stuff. And it's happening. And I think for me, it was like, wow, like it is, it was this sort of implementation of these insights, you know, okay, well, how do we make change? What is the process for that? How does that look? Oh, wait, these community uh, council members, you know, these city council members are our community. Like, they're they're no different. They're, you know, they're the people you might see at the cafe or the people that are also concerned about their neighbors, you know? And that kind of shifts that dynamic of being like, wow, we can actually make change. We can actually work here together and build something locally, uh, for our community. So I think that's been really great. So I would say to your audience, if you are interested in helping out locally in your area, contact us at decriminalizednature.org. Uh, we also have Instagram, social media, all the other things, which I don't know if your audience is like, ah, oh, social media. <laughs> but social media, we have some Instagram and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, um, you know, uh, because it's it's controlled by the, uh, the, the same people that make it hard for us to say things. So I don't know if you have the same issue where so many hashtags are or are flattened or, you know, so many things we can't use. The algorithms are all messing us up and like getting us down because of the conversation we're having. So um, so sometimes it's hard to get that information out there, but we can be found on there. Uh, also, what yeah, to... we
2: don't have any of those issues at all. Not none whatsoever. Nope. We don't experience yeah, right, any
4: pushback yeah. for anything it all controversial works is that we say.
1: On the outside.
4: <laughs> there you yeah. go. That's how you do it. You got to make it look smooth, right? So, um, so yeah, so, that, so that's great. And then, you know, then we'll help you, you know, we'll, we'll give you the tools. We're really here to empower local leadership uh, we just are there to support. Hey, this worked in this city. This didn't work in this city. Hey, we have a tool packet here you might want to use. This is how you might want to strategize for the city council member. This is how you want to do growth classes. You know, so your community knows how to do this work. This is why we're doing what we're doing in relationship to the corporatization and all that kind of thing. Um, and I think uh, once you start meeting this community, it's it's amazing. Like the fact that we've done as much as we've done in the middle of the pandemic. During a lockdown, when everyone's been like, ah, you know, I've heard so many people say, this movement's giving me hope. Like, this is kind of like there wasn't much going on, and I'm so happy to be able to participate in something and meet all these people across the U. S. and the world that are engaging in plant medicines and doing some good work with it. So that would be one way I'd bring it down, <laughs> and then Carlos wrap it up there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, my computer doesn't shut me down if it does, and apparently it's meant to be uh, for the. Um... Uh, I imagine your audience, if they're anything like you all are, are very uh, frustrated with the world and it can be a bit much to look at this daunting task of this you know, fucked up world that just wants to extract and uh, what do you do and it seems so overwhelming, um, I'll just share the message I got in my first mushroom journey that set me on this path, uh, there was two primary messages that came from wherever. One was be beauty, no fear. And that was because I was addicted to fear from the trauma I experienced. And so when I feel fear, I transform it into love and from love emerges beauty. So uh, that was really, uh, what that means is don't be afraid, step out. And then the other thing it said was, uh, don't say it, be it. Uh, like you could talk all day, no one's gonna listen because everybody's stuck in their own mind. Go do the work, transform things. people will see it and be inspired by what you do, not by what you say. So to all your listeners, you know find us and uh, we'll work uh, and, and let's get to work. and it's just little steps because the, the therapy is is in the walk, not in the win, right? You don't have to win anything. Just walk every day doing the work in your own little way. And that's where the healing is, uh, that, that, uh, that good therapy. So that's really it. Um, and find, find, if not us, then find someone else to do the work with. Uh, and, uh, and again, just enjoy the work and, and be beauty.
0: Awesome. Well, we love the work that both of you do. And thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Go yeah. ahead, Amanda. Did you want to add one last thing there?
1: I just wanted to to, uh, to offer up a statement that I, I, I took in listening to one of your previous interviews, Carlos, on, I think it is the, oh, it was a YouTube channel, um, Simulation, and uh, uh, I loved it when you said, uh, life That's is nothing.
2: That's my friend's
1: channel, Atlas. Atlas, yeah. Um, yeah I,
2: like
1: I, I loved it when you said, life is nothing if not trippy. And I think that's another uh, really important uh, thing to embrace—that uh, these ventures that we're all setting out on, they're not going to be neat and linear. There's work to be done, and things to be, to be learned and experienced, and you know, growth. That's what that's what growth is—is is, it's trippy. <laughs> so, I,
2: I just want to echo something <laughs> you said in your journey—that in my uh, experience on ayahuasca, um, I had this vision of this great locomotive that was devouring the land beneath it to power it in its path of this pointless progress to just destroy the world underneath it just so that it can keep going forward and i saw crazy horse who's one of my my heroes and this band of these beautiful horse uh, you know riders on horseback with bows and arrows and they all fell and i saw crazy horse and he looked at me in the eyes and he said something as he di- as he died as he perished he said the most powerful thing you can do to an enemy that wants to destroy you completely is to be beautiful right in its face to be to to stand against it as this symbol of something sublime of something that it cannot be that it cannot understand and i think as we experience so much pushback in the simplest things that we're trying to do to live to drink clean water to feed ourselves to not die to not set our planet on fire on purpose, that we face extreme opposition every single day. And you know, that little win is in the walk, is in being on the walk, is in not being a part of that thing. And there's a tremendous amount of compassion that comes to looking at all those people you see in the world that have so much ignorance and hardship and pain and ugliness in them. And to think about you and your worst moments and to think about the power that one hit of acid that one bite of mushrooms can unlock in you to change in yourself that I think that people find it hard to imagine the world changing because they have not changed in themselves. But any of us that have personally changed and I look at the person that I was five, six, seven years ago and I was a fucking wreck. And I, I couldn't, if, if, if I had told myself of the deeds and wonders and, and, and beauty in, my, in the life that I live now And the purpose and the the splendiferous community, I would not believe it. And I would be angry. I would would resist it. I would fight it. I'd say, fuck out of here with that shit. Give me another drink. I want to die. I want to kill myself. That makes me sadder than anything. And that's a response I get a lot, is people that are afraid of this. But I think that as long as we continue to be that force of nature, you know, that reinforcement, that... You know beautiful experience and the people around us as lives as you've gifted us with this experience today as you said beautifully you know th- this is the walk this is this is the destination
4: thank you very much
2: Society is a nonprofit organization. <clears throat> please, please support. consider supporting it. A- <clears throat> you guys, we really need money. <clears throat> Moneyless society is a labor of love. <sighs> so all this <laughs> Patreon asking reminds me of a a very interesting period in my life where I became a capitalist. I would purchase commodities where they were cheap and uh, send them far away where I could sell them for a profit. I had a couple of guys working under me. I was a job creator, I was a drug dealer. I sold weed and psychedelics. I was terrible at it. <laughs> I was really bad at doing that thing where you. Get something out of people because I knew I was giving them something beneficial I knew they wanted it maybe needed it to escape their miserable lives and me I myself have always struggled finding work It's very hard to find honest work for the mentally insane the uh, <laughs> rejects of society the freaks the weirdos the long hairs the criminally insane whatever so I couldn't uh, squeeze things out of people I'd give people things or I just couldn't hustle it I couldn't sling it I couldn't form like soulless business connections with people so I had to have other people do it for me and a very interesting thing happened when I did that when I had passive income when I had people working for me I became very lazy and entitled and I had that attitude of well I took the risk mailing these to myself blah 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 I could have you know gone down I put up the money I deserve the profit <laughs> I really believe that, and I got mad at my little worker guys when they weren't doing the, weren't making the money fast enough. It's so embarrassing, you know, it's so shameful, I'm so glad I had that experience in such a low-stakes situation where well, I could have gone to jail, I mean, I was white, so I, I probably would have gotten away with it anyway, but I'm glad I learned that lesson that that is not what we're here for. We are not here to chip away at each other, to peel little bits of of other people off and and keep them to make ourselves a little bit bigger. We're not here to buy and sell shit. We did not incarnate into this prismatic, beautiful form of liquid living light, (laughs) infinite frequency and vibration, experiencing it, consciousness experiencing itself in this beautiful jewel suspended in the black velvet cloth of space to buy and sell shit, to trade, to sell. We came here to learn and love and experience the adventure of life and existence and to come into whole connection with each other. And that is the opposite of of business. That's the opposite of society we've created. So for the price of a (laughs) shitty dime bag, a low mid, you can become a patron and support us to do something about it, to to create something that allows us to not have to do this sort of embarrassing, childish shit just so that we can eat, so that we can survive, so we can move beyond surviving into thriving and creating these systems that we talk about and embodying these principles and values in our own society, starting with you and me. So I I can't stay up late till 2.30 a.m. editing this video the day before I release it. Every week, that is, Um, on an empty stomach. So help us out, support us. And that can be the beginning of a deeper relationship where we help you find your role in this revolution, your place in this world that we are as of yet building. Buy the ticket. Take the
0: ride.